Welcome to The Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line. And now, here are your hosts, award-winning influencer and pioneering author of seven books, Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University. Yeah, no, and I think that for a change, Apple was a good example here. Good. Because it, pardon? I said good. Yeah, for a change. For a change. For, <laughs> out of the dozens of times that you've brought it up as an example, this time it actually works. British Airways offers a superior travel experience. So they don't want to lower their price and compete directly on price. So one of the things that they've done is they created an interactive tool on their website that helps people understand that the ticket price is not the total like kind of cost of ownership. It's not the total cost for flying. And you then think, well, why would you make that a PR stunt? The reason you'd make it as a PR stunt is because the sort of the hidden message is, we want to keep the prices as low as we possibly can. Ryan, another pickle, mate. All right, let's hear it. So this pickle is from Peter Harvey, and he's in the B2B side of the house, okay? Mm -hmm. And he has asked the question about, he says, we are not the lowest cost provider, and we don't want to be, but we keep getting pushback from their customers on price. What do we do? Yeah. And the danger is this goes down really to sort of pricing strategy. Actually, it's quite interesting, I think. Too many organizations don't really have a pricing strategy. I'd agree with that. Let me repeat the pickle. We're not the lowest cost provider. We don't want to be, but we keep getting pushback from customers on price. What do we do? Now, thinking about it, I actually think, how many times do customers say that they're happy with prices? (laughs) That's a good point. I don't know about you, but even if I get surveys out, I never tell them I am. Because I think to myself, this is going to go into some big survey and and then they're going to put the prices up because of all this stuff. Oh, no, I I routinely complain that I'm paying too much or too little for something and will offer more money. I think you should put your prices up and we should give you more money, yeah. Yeah. So I don't know if you can hear me bowing at the beginning of this podcast. Oh, Ryan, you're the master of this subject. And I didn't I, hear I, it, I, but I, I kind of assume that it's always there. <laughs> so I know that pricing is one of your strengths. Let me try to be kind to you. One of your strengths. So I thought this would be a great one for, for you to give the pearls of your wisdom. That's one of the areas of research that I do is in, um, it's called behavioral pricing. So kind of the intersection between psychology and pricing. So I do I do have opinions. Good. We should acknowledge that there are a couple of different approaches that we could take to a problem like this. Um, and one of them we talked about on a, on a previous pickle a few months ago, uh, and that was with, was it Fernando? Fernando, yes. distinction. Yes. And yeah, so distinction was the solution. He was essentially offering a commodity product and, and needed to figure out like, how do we distinguish our offering? And that can be important from a pricing standpoint too. So when I teach my MBA students, we go through, it's in fact, it's in the first week, we talk about the difference between creating value and communicating value. 
let me just jump in there. The link to that podcast we'll put in the show notes because it does apply to this. So I would listen to Peter. I would listen to all of all of that previous podcast. Yes. Yeah. No. Absolutely. So that that'll then be a potential part of the solution, right? So it could be that you're not creating enough value to justify higher prices. And we're going to assume that that's not it, right? Because you, you say that you don't want to be the low cost provider, which leads me to believe that you probably are already offering something that has a higher level of service or performance, right? So you're offering a superior product. People should expect to pay for that superior product. The question is, how much are they supposed to pay? And so this is really a communication issue. And can I throw in a word there? Please. It's not pleased. The word I don't want to throw in, I don't want to throw in the word pleased. I'd like to throw in the word perceived. So what I mean by that is, isn't this about the perceived value? Yes. And I'm not trying to be pedantic here. No, not at all. One of the differences, for me, there's always the difference between what something costs you to produce and what customers are willing to pay for it, i.e. the perceived value. The reason I, I think the word perceived is important because, I mean, it amazes me how some of these, some people spend so much money on exclusive brands, particularly women's handbags. You think to yourself, I, I don't know the bloody difference between any of them. Yeah. But the perceived value from the people buying them is great. I look at it and I think to myself, that's a load of rubbish. It's just like the one that you could get down at Walmart. So why don't I get that? I'm exaggerating to make a point, but you get the idea. No, I, I think it's an incredibly important point, and I'm glad you raised it. Uh, one of the early fights I got in right when I first started teaching, my students have to take a whole batch of introductory courses at the same time. So they take my marketing class, and then they take an introductory. What have they done to deserve that, mate? Uh, well, by that t- point, they've already paid their deposit. <laughs> it's too late for them. <laughs> they don't have a choice. Uh, yeah, they have to take their intro finance class from somebody else, their intro accounting class, their intro income class. <laughs> So we know, we know all the other teachers who teach those subjects and we have lunch together and, and try to coordinate. So one of my students was in his econ class and the professor said, what is the role of marketing in business? And there was some answer he wanted, but instead the student gave the answer that I had taught them, which is that marketing creates value for customers. Yeah. And the econ professor laughed and, um, and said, that's, that's not right. Value is created by engineers, by you know, scientists and labs. Like That's how you create value for something. Marketers just sell it. Uh, which I disagreed with, but it, it goes exactly to this point that you're raising, which is that nothing is actually valuable until somebody's willing to pay for it, right? From a market standpoint, subjective value or perceived value is the only value that matters ever. Yeah, and, and not only that is, I mean, if he's talking about engineers, yes, you can look at, I don't know, here's something we haven't talked about Apple for bloody ages, have we? <laughs> and Apple is an interesting example, I guess, in this area, because A, you've got the product, the manufactured product, the engineered product that works really well. But second thing that you've got that is a perceived value is the brand, basically. Absolutely. Yeah, no, and I think that for a change, Apple was a good example here. Good. Because it, Pardon? I said good. Yeah, for a change. For a change. For, <laughs> out of the dozens of times that you've brought it up as an example, this time it actually works. No, because if you look at, and this varies from year to year, so I don't know where it is now, but many years, if you look at Apple's flagship iPhone offering, yeah, and then some of the offerings by Samsung, 
the Samsung's comparable model will be better on a number of attributes. Now, uh, hold on, hold on a minute. Objectively mate. better. <laughs> hold on. Look, we've been friends for quite a long time now, but I'm just not going to put up with that. And you, I'm, you I'm willing on, to blow up our friendship over this. Um, you, can't, you can't come on the show and start swearing at me, mate. I'll tell you, that's <laughs> just well out of order. But th- this is exactly the point that I'm trying to raise, because if we look at the objective statistics, right? So whatever it is, resolution of the camera or, you know, amount of memory, like these objective stats that we can compare side by side, oftentimes the Samsung will be better on a number of those. But, but let me tell you one thing that the Samsung doesn't have. And let's let's hear the counter argument to that, which is where we're going. Yes. It doesn't have a picture of an apple on the back. It doesn't. It also doesn't have a a British podcaster who's (laughs) maniacally obsessed with the brand. And that's just value you can't buy. That's just really valuable. But no, this is exactly the point. Usually the iPhone is sold at at a premium relative to the Samsung. And it's because people see some source of value in that, either from the design or from kind of the brand and the brand community or from some yeah. other less quantifiable attributes. Sure. It's not, it's not just a matter of actually creating something better. You know, to your point, it has to be perceived as better. Yes. And yes. for many customers, not all, but for many customers, the iPhone is perceived as being a better phone, even if objectively on some attributes at least. I'm going to let that one slide because I'm conscious that we need to focus on Peter. Okay. So let's ask the question again. We're not the lowest cost provider. We don't want to be, uh, but we're getting pushback from customers on price. What do they do? If you were in front of Peter now, what would you tell him? So if the problem is that they're not willing to, or they're not excited about the price, they're not willing to pay the price that we want to charge. Yeah. And we assume that it's not a value creation problem. We assume that you are, in fact, making something superior. Then it comes down to communication. So we're not communicating the value of our offering yeah. sufficiently well. Yeah, because that perception is all about communication, isn't it? Yes, very much so. To build a perception, that means by definition, you've communicated knowingly or unknowingly, I guess is the other important aspect here. Uh, knowingly or unknowingly about your the price of your product or the value of your product or service. You can think of price as being part of a negotiation, even when it's happening just kind of straight off the shelf. They're making an offer, and then you can choose to accept or reject that offer. In many B2B cases, it's it's part of an explicit negotiation, but all prices are, in some sense, part of a negotiation. You're saying our offering is worth this much. And then the customer can say, no, I don't think it's worth that much. I think it's worth some other amount here. That is all kind of perception and communication. So how can we communicate so that they perceive our offering as more valuable? And we've got a couple of strategies for doing this. You ready? Yep. So one of them happens often enough that it's got a name. It's known as an economic value analysis. And the idea here is that we need to translate all of the benefits into dollars and cents or into to pounds or euros or whatever it is, if that's the way our customer is making a decision. So, okay. so I, I want to be clear here. Not all customers are focused on price to the same extent. You may have some that are focused on quality. They want the best quality offering. And so if you talk to them about all of the nickels and dimes they'll be saving by doing it this way, you may not be communicating with them effectively. But if, as, as in this pickle, 
the customers seem to be focused on price, then we need to communicate those benefits in terms of price. So the goal here is to change the conversation away from price and towards total cost of ownership. Can I challenge you on that? Not not challenge you, but then make an observation. I guess that goes back to what I would normally say at this point, which is the customer's perception of what they think is important. So they may tell you that the price is the thing and therefore you have to communicate money, but actually it may not be. It's a good point. What matters is the way I phrase it in class is you need to communicate in the language of the decision. Yeah. So if they're making their decision based on some combination of factors, you need to communicate to them in such a way that they very clearly understand exactly those factors and what they mean. Yes. They can tell you anything they want to tell you, right? They could tell you that price is the only thing that matters, but in into practical terms, they keep on going with not the lowest price offering available, which tells you that it's more than just price. Regardless of what they're telling you, it's more than just price that's driving. So does this tie into, you You remember when we've talked in the past about the evaluability heuristic? Uh-huh. And you remember when I've talked to you and I've given you the example when I went to buy a uninterruptible power supply? Yes. You know, I had a, a list of all the things that it would do, but the only thing that I could understand was, in other words, how many amperages and blah, blah, blah they had. The only thing I could understand was the, the amount of time it would remain on. Okay, mm-hmm. that's how I ended up making the decision. Are we really talking about that? There's a load of there was a load of different things there, but the one that that my language was, well, it was I'm going to make a decision based upon time, uh, the time it would last. Is that right? Yeah, I, th- I think that's a, a very related idea. So you know, you probably went into that with some kind of vague sense of priorities and what you wanted, and you could have chosen just the cheapest one available. Right? Yes. And that would have been a sign that you were focused primarily on price. Yes. You presumably didn't. You had you wanted something that was of higher quality because, you know, having this this power supply was going to be important to you in times of emergency. And so you didn't want like the cheapest one available. And so now you were faced with this set of attributes. Now you were a novice customer in this setting. And so you had trouble dealing with all of those attributes. And so you settled on yeah. the one that was easiest for you to evaluate. I think that there you may be selling in a context where that's true. If you're selling in that context, you may have the overall superior model. And going back to this idea about customers' perceptions, it won't matter if your customers don't know how to evaluate it. Right? And so you may be able to say, like, look, ours is based on all of these lab specs, ours is clearly the best offering, and therefore it's it justifies the highest price. Yeah. But your customers are looking at it and saying, I don't know what any of this means. So I'm going to choose this one over here that has a reasonable price and and is good on this one attribute that I understand. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Yes. And so that would be a communication failure, right? The the value is there. Uh, and by value, I mean objective value, right? I'm talking about the not perceived value, but the, you've actually created something that is objectively valuable, but your customer doesn't understand that value because you didn't communicate it in a way. In that case, the value could have been in the amperages, but I haven't got a bloody clue what all of that lot means. So they could have been communicating it in the amperages and I just don't pick it up because I don't understand it. Exactly. Exactly so. So are you communicating the attributes that matter, right? Yeah. So, so there's two approaches here. You can figure out like what are the ways that customers are making decisions and make sure that you're the best on those, right? So it shouldn't have been hard for these uninterruptible power supply people to figure out that 
time is almost certainly going to be the most important attribute for the most people. Sure. Most people have no idea what amps are, but time like, Oh, this one will let me keep using my computer for 45 minutes. And this one for 20 minutes, like that's super easy to evaluate. Sure. So if that's your knowledge of the market, then you either need to maximize on that thing. So people will pay more if you have the longest time, right? So that's yeah. justifying your price or you need to educate your customers. Right. So if you know that, well, like, yeah, you can have it for 45 minutes, but you can only plug in one phone. Like that's, that's what the, the amperage rating means on that. Then you need to be able to communicate that in a better way. So customers actually appreciate what you are good at so that they will be willing to pay more. We wanted to thank everybody for listening. You are great. And the reason we do this. We're really pleased that we now have over 200 episodes. We've seen the podcast grow and grow. And now, according to Buzzsprout, it is in the top 5% of all podcasts globally. Thank you. That is truly amazing and not possible without you. But we have one request of you. Can you please tell a friend, a neighbor, or even someone you hate? It would be really good to get more listeners, and it encourages Ryan and I to continue to produce the show. So please... Just tell a friend. The other interesting thing about that was, if my memory serves me correctly, the time aspect of things was buried in all the statistics about other things. And it makes you just go from a communications perspective that it should have been front and center and in bold and at the first thing and the lead item, if that's how everyone's making a decision on uh, on whether to buy that or not it's crazy isn't it like it's it's so funny how often firms fail to take the perspective of their customers yeah right so this is another psychological bias it's called the curse of knowledge but the idea is that once you know something it's difficult for you to unknow it take the perspective of somebody who doesn't know it sure um, and so if the engineers who understand this stuff and designed it really well they're very proud of the fact that they were able to squeeze out two and a half more amps into this thing. And so they want to lead with that. Not appreciating that the vast majority of people have absolutely no idea what it means, nor do they particularly care. So yeah, it's a great example. Communicate, figure out what the attributes are that are important um, and maximize on those. Or alternatively, if yours is superior on other attributes, make sure that you communicate that in a way that people can understand. So they understand why this is the most important and what it means and how they can compare it to other things. Good. Good. Yeah, um, I can give you some examples. Um, so British Airways, and this is actually an example that I got from a member of your team. We were talking about this a couple of years ago, and, and they pointed me to this. I think it's a great example. Good. So British Airways is not the lowest priced provider, um, mm-hmm. right? They compete with a number of hard discounters. And so they're in kind of a similar situation. Like, what do we do? Do we want to drastically lower our prices? Our customers are complaining about our prices relative to other people. But British Airways offers a superior travel experience. So they don't want to lower their price and compete directly on price. So one of the things that they've done is they created an interactive tool on their website that helps people understand that the ticket price is not the total like kind of cost of ownership. It's not the total cost for flying. And so on this website interface that they have, they have British Airways and then they have Ryanair and EasyJet both. And they have a, a series of selections that you can make 
for example. So both of these hard discounters offer or, or require people to pay an administration fee to get your ticket. So you've paid the ticket price, but now if you actually want to complete the transaction, you need to pay an additional 12 euros on top. Sure. Are you accounting for that? Are you thinking about that when you're looking at just the comparing the prices of these? There's additional fees for these discounters if you want to check in at the airport or if you want to check in online, some of them yeah. will charge you a fee. Some of them charge you a fee for breathing on the plane. Some of them will charge you for the oxygen that you take in. <laughs> but like if, if you want to like have a carry-on, that'll sometimes be a fee. If you want to have any kind of food or beverage at all, that'll be a fee. I flew a hard discounter in the United States. They've since gone out of business. But I flew one flight with them and it was terrible. Their trays, the dining yeah. tray, it was about the size of a pack of cards. Right. So it was just like two inches by three inches or something. And if you folded it down, it was just large enough to put a drink on. Yeah. And if you wanted to have a tray that you could actually like put your laptop on and do some work, they would rent that to you for the duration of the flight. So they had, <laughs> had something that would come in and slide over that tiny little tray and lock sure. in so that you could yeah. get, like everything cost extra. And so if you use this tool and click on some things that you would reasonably expect to get during your flight, then British Airways is able to say, well, like, see, you thought you were saving a bunch of money, but you need to add an additional 50 euros to that to actually make it a comparable experience. See, one of the things that you mentioned this is Ryanair back in the, uh, this was maybe 10 years ago, they were talking about charging for people going to the restroom on flights. Now, I don't know actually how serious they were about that or whether that was a PR stunt. And you then think, well, why would you make that a PR stunt? The reason you'd make it as a PR stunt is because the sort of the hidden message is we want to keep the prices as low as we possibly can, Yeah, you know? We've even sort of shaved off these things that we can do to make our prices really low. And let me be clear, some of it is really low, yeah? Mm -hmm. But you then fail to have all of the other other benefits that a number of us, like you're just saying here, would expect as being the norm. But the bulk standard price of a flight, and assuming you want a chair with a, sa with a safety belt, is going to cost you X. So for me, it goes back to that perception of, price, doesn't it? You're right. From a branding perspective, it might have been perversely brilliant for them to talk about that, where they can now emphasize that they're squeezing every penny out of the cost of the flight. And that brings us to our, our last recommendation here, which is segmentation. Right. And so, you know, I like to harp on segmentation, the idea that different people want different things. That same story where Ryanair's like at least kicking around the idea of charging to go to the restrooms, which I'm pretty sure is illegal on a flight anyway, it sends the signal like, wow, they're really looking to make this cheap in any way po they possibly can. There's a group of the marketplace, there's a group of customers for who, who would hear that story and go, well, that's clearly what I got to look when I want to shop for air travel because I want to pay the absolute lowest price possible and I don't mind if I'm treated like a beast of burden during that experience because I want to save that money. And that's a group of customers and they are valid and they should get what they want, right? And that, that's good that there's an airline that serves them. Other people would hear that same story. I think you and I are in this group who would say that sounds 
inhumane and disgusting. And I would not want any part to do with that company. And so there are different providers for different levels of service and different prices. And so it, going back to the original pickle here, it's possible that there's a segmentation problem or a targeting problem going on that maybe you are trying to sell to the wrong people. Yeah, no, that's a good point. And and just to build on your point, I think Ryanair now are the largest airline in Europe. Yeah. So I'm probably in the minority <laughs> that won't fly with them because of all of these types of things. They just drive me around the bend, but there you go. Um, maybe I'm just old-fashioned. But no, I think that's a, that's a really good point. Old-fashioned in that you like to be treated like a human being. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, I, either that or I'm going to take my own drinks tray on board with me or something like that. Maybe <laughs> maybe I should try to do that. But no, I, I, I think, you're, think you're right. The whole area of segmentation it is knowing your customers. And it could be that, and we've talked about this before, we did a podcast a few weeks ago about firing your customers. I'm not suggesting, yep. Peter, that you need to fire your customer here, but it could be that, that they're just the wrong type of customer, to be honest with you, mate. And you shouldn't have them in the first place because that's not your strategy. That's not where your pricing strategy is trying to reach. And the danger is, is that you spend more, too much time trying to play in a, a part of the market that you shouldn't be playing, basically. Absolutely. Speaking of B2B sales, a lot of B2B companies are very focused on price and some, some of them even hire like pricing consultants to do the negotiations for them so that there's no relationship aspect that goes into it and it can be very cutthroat. But not every B2B transaction is like that. I talk to my students about the importance of kind of communicating based on price if, if that's the language of the decision. But then I end the discussion by pointing out that not every transaction is. And I show some of the ads that are made for uh, Volvo Trucks, yeah. which is a, a B2B firm selling professional grade kind of transportation lorries. And they have these amazing series of ads that they post online. So Jean-Claude Van Damme doing the splits on, on a pair of trucks is one of their more famous ones. Uh, they also posted one more recently, which is they got a, like, it, she looks like she's about four years old, just this adorable, tiny little child. And they they set up a course and they made a truck into a remote control car. So they, they equipped it with actuators so that she had a remote control and she could steer it and hit the gas and the brake and so on. And they just let her drive around this course where she was smashing into buildings and she rolled this truck off of a off of a hill and it just kept bouncing back up and kept going. And it was just this brilliant demonstration about how tough their trucks are, right? Like if this sure. little kid can smash this truck up as much as she wants to and it'll still perform, like think about how well it'll perform on your worksite. That is a message around quality, right? We're, we're not the lowest cost provider. And if that's you, that's what you want, then... You don't see the Go value of what else. we're doing. Shop somewhere else. You know there are other truck providers, but for our target segment, we're the best. Yeah. No. Absolutely. And I, I think that's that's uh, that's really important. So, Peter, I I hope that's been of use to you. If you have a pickle and you want to get in touch with us, then please, all you need to do is to go to beyondphilosophy.com backslash pickle. That's beyondphilosophy.com backslash pickle. 
you'll see a big red button there. Just press the button and uh, it will record your message and then we can cut and paste the audio file into, into the podcast. Or, as Peter has done, just drop us a line and we will deal with your pickup. I hope that's been of use, Peter. And we look forward to talking to everybody next week on the show. Okay, cheers. This has been The Intuitive Customer with Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton. But it doesn't end here. Just go to beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast to find all of our shows, access free tools and resources, and subscribe, won't you? That way you'll never miss a show. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash podcasts. We look forward to talking with you next time on The Intuitive Customer.